0: Good morning, church. There was a part in that song uh, where it said it, de- desert was spelled dessert. And so the thing said, when the pain, e- when the pain hits, eat dessert. <laughs> that was really good. That's a good word right there. Um, well, good morning. Um, I got to say, first, I'm super fired up about this new worship service. Um, I'm fired up about it because, um, first, it's such a... Um, good reflection of who this community is that folks outside the church say, y'all have got good DNA, go spread it elsewhere. But I think the the biggest thing I'm excited about is I bet you all know somebody who for one reason or another wouldn't feel comfortable coming to worship in the walls of a church. Maybe they feel like they're not good enough to come in or maybe they've been hurt in the past, but worshiping site may be an opportunity for folks to come and find joy and find God, so that, that's an exciting thing for us to be dreaming about and thinking about into next year. Um, for those who are visiting or have been gone for a little bit, we're in the middle of a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And I've got a, a good friend, his name's Jay, who we talk sometimes about the messages we're getting ready to speak. And he goes, you're speaking on fruit of the loom? What? <laughs> why in the heck would you speak on that? And so I want to try to explain what I explained to him, why we're talking about fruit. Um, it, it's right in line with our mission statement. Uh, if, if you take our mission statement, which is a reflection of who we wanna be as a, a faith community, you can really break it into three parts. Part one is the one up top where it says, um, we, we welcome imperfect people, imperfect people come here. And I bet to a person, we would agree that we live that well, that this is a friendly, welcoming place. You can come as you are, dressed however you wanna dress. This is a place for imperfect people. On the, the bottom side of it, the, the last third, it says, uh, we change the world together. And those are clothes we wear well too. Uh, we're a servant church. You saw flood buckets out here in the sunrise room. Um, every week, Laura's is picking from you know, several different examples of ways you are all involved in the community, changing the world together. The third part is this middle People are transformed. And and that's the the dirty work uh, that Paul is talking about here in Galatians 5 when he talks about fruit of the Spirit. He's saying that there are things that we are rescued from, enmity, strife, jealousies, but we're also rescued to something else. It's not just enough to be rescued away from the bad, but we're rescued through the saving grace of Jesus Christ to something better, faithfulness, goodness, I said goodfulness in the first service, and they all laughed at me. Uh, peace and joy. And um, this, I say the dirty work because it's, it's hard work, this business of transformation. And I, I feel like it, it shouldn't say transformed. It should say transforming because Lord knows I'm still transforming. And Paul even talks about this in Romans. He says, I don't understand myself for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. So, today we're going to dig into the fruit of the Spirit, joy. And joy is slippery. As I've been praying on this, thinking on it, preparing for this message, I kept picturing joy as a bar of soap because it, it really is a tangible thing I can look at. I can look back over joyful memories I've had in my life and I can see it clearly. And I can pick up concepts about joy and I can pass it back and forth in my hand. But the minute I try to grab onto joy and control it, it pops right out of my hand like the bar of soap would. And um, I, I did, um, here, here's what I do know about joy. We all want it. We're all pursuing joy in our lives. I mean, maybe Buck, you didn't. You woke up this morning and you go, I sure could use some enmity today. Uh, or or Richard, maybe you woke up and said, I sure hope I encounter some strife. I I don't think that's what you did. I think we all woke up this morning and you said, I wanna go out into the world and find joy, but something gets in the way. The other reason I know we all want joy is because I did an Amazon search for books that had either the word happiness or joy in the title. And you wanna know I found 200,000 results, books with either happiness or joy in the title. And I jotted down some of my favorite ones. Happiness, a guide to developing life's most important skill. The happiness advantage. Awakening joy. Fight back with joy. Celebrate more. Regret less. And this is my favorite, favorite one. Uh, 10% happier. How I tamed the voice in my head, reduced stress without losing my edge, and found self-help that actually works. A true story. (laughs) I shouldn't. I really shouldn't goof on these books because I'm, I'm sure that they're helpful and, and and even though I'm goofing on and the thing I'm goofing on is I wish it was that simple that I could just read a book and I'd have the instruction manual on you know the three or four spiritual practices that I should do every morning before 7 a.m. and that's gonna bring joy throughout the rest of the day. Now, that works for Richard because he's up at 4 a.m. and he's reading in the book of Leviticus and he's just, anyway. Um, but I'll tell you, this is a, Joy is is kind of hard to define, and um, th- th- uh, I want to. The first place I wanted to go with it was to tell you about like these peak moments, right, where we feel joy out in the world. And uh, let me set this up. Do we have any Houston Astros fans in the crowd? First, I want to apologize in advance. Um, the year is two thousand and five. Um, it is the World Series between the Chicago White Sox and the Houston Astros. Um, my dad grew up south side of Chicago, my mom too, and he was a diehard Chicago White Sox fan. And he brainwashed me and I'm a Chicago White Sox fan too. And it's the thing that we've just bonded over together our entire lives. I, I love baseball. I spent every free moment, even in the backyard playing catch with him or throwing a ball over the roof, pretending it was game, you know, game seven, bottom of the ninth inning uh, in the World Series. And so my dad and I are at this game Game two, World Series, Chicago White Sox, Houston Astros. Now, the Sox had dominated game one, um, they'd won, and and what you you don't, if you know anything about baseball, is if you win game two, you have a commanding advantage in the series. So there's just a lot of energy and excitement around winning game two. I I actually looked this up. You have an 81% probability of winning the World Series if you win game two. So it's game two, bottom of the second, the Sox are down, four runs to two, and up walks not just the hitter from my favorite team, but one of my favorite baseball players of all time, Paul Canerco, and I want to show you a quick little video. Base is loaded, two out, with Canerco on, and he rips one in the left, Canerco, grand slam! a joyful moment. Um, So I'm in the stands. I'm behind third base dugout. I'm about halfway up. And here's the thing to know is it was, uh, the Sox had loaded the bases, grand slam, and the Astros decided to change pitchers. And we're just, oh, bases are loaded. We're going to win this. Oh, here it comes. And we look and there's Paul Canerco on deck, our best hitter, our best home run hitter. And the new pitcher comes in. And the very first pitch he throws, before we can even get excited about a hit, that line drive shot, and the crowd just, as you saw, goes berserk. I went nuts. My dad and I don't hug a ton, but I like—I grab my dad and I'm hugging him like this. I'm high-fiving strangers, and then in my memory, there was a guy sitting behind me, and in my memory, he's six foot eight, three hundred and seventy-five pounds. He grabs me by the shoulder, and he's going, "Yeah, we're gonna win!" So we're up six to four. I'm sorry, Buck. Um, and I thought, is this a joyful moment? I mean, I know it's excitement. I know that I was really, 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 really happy. But is it joy? Well, did you notice in the video how they would cut to scenes of the White Sox celebrating and then to the Astros, like Chad Qualls, devastated in defeat? Well, if this is joy, then you have to be on the White Sox to experience joy. And That would mean joy is circumstantial, and I don't think that that's what the Bible tells us about joy. I told you joy was slippery, and I found myself, you know, trying to grab onto it and it pop out. And I promise you, this was a real conversation. Uh, I go, Laura, I just don't know what I want to say about joy. And Laura said, "Well, did you look to see what Jesus said about joy?" I'm like, "Oh, that was probably a good idea." <laughs> that's why she's the senior pastor. Um. So I went into Luke 10 and Luke 10, 17 through 21 really spoke to me about joy. And I wanna point a few things out here, but I wanna set up where we are in the gospel story. Um, This is Jesus' mid-ministry, okay? So he has recruited the 12 disciples. They've done some work. He sent them out. They've done miracles. They've messed some things up. Um, They've come back. They've witnessed the transfiguration. They fed the 5,000. Now the 12 has become the 72, And he sends the 72 out to do some work, some ministry. And where we're picking up in 17 is where the 72 are coming back a little fired up about what has just happened. So here's verse 17. Uh, When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all power of the enemy and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But, but, whenever Jesus uses the word but, pay attention. Don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Here's 21. At that same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit and he said, Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. This is the word of God for the people of God. So I said there's a few things I want us to notice. And the first is I want us to notice the gentleness of Jesus' response to the 72. Um, You know this feeling. There was a day where you were coming home from school and you had a great grade on your report card and it was in your backpack and you could not wait to tell mom and dad about it. That's the space the 72 are in. Christ sent them out into ministry. They had loads of success and they're coming back and they can't wait to tell them about it. Jesus, we faced evil. We faced it down and we conquered it. They're just so excited. And notice how Jesus responds to them. He says, look, I get it. I saw the source of all hurt and pain and suffering fall. And I've given you the power to do the same. Now, the first thing here is, notice that Jesus doesn't rob them of their joy. This is not a get behind me Satan moment where he's, he's uh, correcting them violently. He's just simply gently redirecting them. And I, I feel like there's a whole sermon series, a whole message just on that, the power of our words and how we can either take away people's joy or give it to them. I know I've been in this situation before where I've been super fired up about something. I'm excited and somebody goes, well, let me tell you the reality that you're going to face. You know, And I've probably been that person a bunch of times where my intent was to be joyful and then somebody comes to me and I'm like, well, let me explain to you how things really work. Our words carry a lot of weight and notice how Jesus is empathizing with the 72, recognizing their joy, but then pointing them to the source of true joy. Notice what he says. Um, Jesus is saying, don't have joy that you had a little bit of success. Have joy that you're part of the family of God. And so this gets me thinking about the White Sox and the Astros again. Now, you can be on the White Sox or the Astros and still have joy in something higher, which is what he's calling the 72-2. I don't know, we don't have biographies about the 72 But if they're anything like the 12 disciples, these were broken and busted people that were likely, and Jesus knew, were going to encounter difficulties down the road. And so he's being very intentional about setting them up for success and joy later on in their life and later on in their ministry. The second um, thing I want us to to touch on is the humanity of Jesus in this passage. And I want to go back to 21 and just read the first part of it uh, for you. Uh, just to refresh us. It says, 21, at that same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he said, Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Now, the English... Um, Translation doesn't do a great job of this, but one commentator I was reading was saying in the Greek, it's very clear that this is a tone of triumph and a tone of joy in Jesus' voice. He uses a word called glossolalia, uh, which the commentator says, it's the way we would understand speaking in tongues right? And so Jesus is so fired up that he's speaking rapidly. He's really excited. Now I'm just imagining Jesus here. This is not in the scripture. I'm imagining like Jesus so fired up and so passionate. He's talking to his disciples and he's going so fast that if you weren't in the moment with him, maybe you wouldn't even understand what he was saying. I know I've been like that before. I'm talking to a buddy and we're like locked in and excited and somebody would probably walk by and go, what in the world are they talking about? Right. That's how I picture Jesus right now. And I find that such a helpful image of him because we get these other images of Christ where he's the gentle shepherd with the lamb, softly stroking the, the fur. And then other pictures of him where he's on the waves and he's calming the storm with this great power. This is a Jesus doing a touchdown dance, right? He's excited. And um, I was I was chat, I was having lunch with a, a guy from our church recently and We got talking about spiritual practices and he's a man I really admire in the church and I'm thinking, man, he's gonna tell me he gets up at 3 a.m. and he does this and he does that but I said, well, what are your spiritual practices? And he goes, well, Trent, the number one thing I do in my life to follow God is I pursue joy. I enjoy my friends, I enjoy nature, I enjoy my family, I enjoy all the beautiful things God gave us to enjoy. And I thought, Gosh, what a freeing thought that is that all these images we've had for years of the solemn priest, you know, the, the, um, the downtrodden life of the Christian, that Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully human. So of course he had joy just like we have joy, you know, even at a baseball game. Last thing I want us to notice in this passage, this is the second part of 21. I'm gonna read this one again too. It says, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever, and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. So this is this is answering a question about what was Jesus rejoicing in, and it answers two questions. There's a there's a when is he rejoicing, and there's a why. He's rejoicing. The win is, remember I said we're mid-ministry and they've done a lot of things up to this date, but there's still a lot to come. He's still gonna go to the cross and endure the cross with joy. He's celebrating at this moment, the 72 coming back and seeing momentum in the ministry, the father's work being done. So here Jesus is having joy and rejoicing in progress, not perfection, progress, not perfection. And this is, again, another, we could spend a week on this, a really important message when we think about this hard, dirty business of transformation is that we have to have joy in progress, not necessarily perfection of our transformation. That's the when. And then there's a why to this too. Why is Jesus rejoicing? He says, because Father, you hid this from the learned, the wise, the clever. I'm thinking about those 200,000 Amazon books on happiness and joy. And he says, no, you've made it so simple that even a child who can't read can understand it. Um, I have a really good friend. Uh, we've known each other for 15 years, and he's seen me in, um, this is a warning, a church word. He's seen me in lots of different seasons of my life. And... Um, over the last few years, he's noticed as I've gotten more involved in church and as I've started to put God center, and he said, Trent, there's, there's just something different about you, and you seem super happy all the time, and what's the magic sauce? And we talked. We talked for a really good long time. Uh, I told him about God and about Methodist. He grew up Catholic, and so I was trying to carve out some of the differences in our doctrine. And we talked for all this time and I felt like I was just shooting stuff over his head and we ended on where I probably should have started, which was, my friend, I can't sell this to you. I can't explain it. I can't give you the instructions. All I know is that when I started putting God first and started following Jesus as an example, joy invaded my life. Invaded every crevice of it. And that's what God's promise is to us. Friends, there is so much in this life to enjoy. Even a baseball game. And what I believe is that all those moments of joy on earth are just a hint of what's to come. Because when I look back at that game, that wonderful World Series home run. The thing that I, over the years that I've come to understand is that had nothing to do with Paul Canerco. That had nothing to do with baseball, nothing to do with the game, but it had everything to do with the relationship with my father. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in you today. And as we enter in the Advent, the Christmas season, we want to say thank you for your son. We want to say thank you for the joy he lived his life in and the joy with which he endured the cross. Father, May we follow his example in this hard work of transformation and pursue that transformation with joy. God, will you watch our words? Will you help them be joyful? We can give joy to others, not take it away. Help us to be encouraging, to lift folks up. God, help us to remember the simplicity of what you're calling us into that even a child can understand. Lord, may our lives be a reflection of the joy that you intend for us.